welcome to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Back after the international break and uh, back with probably a very familiar Norwich City conversation. Uh, joined by Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman to reflect on Daniel Farker's Carrow Road return. It ended Leeds United 3, Norwich City 2 at Carrow Road in um, a day that was full of narrative, full of emotion, particularly for, for, for Farker and uh, a day of defeat ultimately for Norwich City, which, you know, um, there's lots of questions and lots of questions that we will ask and attempt to answer. Before we get through the football, just to try and put it off a little bit longer, Paddy, good international break. What did you, what did you get up to? Anything, anything meaningful? Oh, you put me on the spot there, Connor. Did I do anything? The fact I can't recall anything of note would suggest it was a fairly nondescript fortnight. Um, just uh, dealing with the toddler's mood swings, but uh, we've, maybe a lot of us have already been, have been there, so... Uh, yeah, no, it was quite quite a joy to get back to work up until about 63 minutes today. I was quite enjoying that, but uh <laughs> wasn't to be. And we'll get into it in due course. But yeah, no, nothing. Um, yeah, I'm really struggling to uh, think of anything I did of any note other than work and await the Farker reunion. So no, what about you, boys? Sam? Uh, not really. I spent uh, one day in London with my friends. And uh, apart from that, see the sights? I didn't really. I've didn't take him to Loftus Road or, you know. Well, not to Loftus Road, nah. We had a nice little walk along South Bank, if you're, uh, if you're familiar, which is quite nice. But um, no, apart from that, it was a yeah, pretty dull uh, international break. So just working in my flat. Very exciting, really. But um, yeah, what about you? Hopefully you've got a good... Given me and Paddy have basically said, yeah, nah, nothing really. You've got um, to do something good. I went pumpkin picking. Which can I say you don't actually pick you, you do pick pumpkins because you say there's a pumpkin and I want that one but you don't actually I thought it would be like picking it off a stalk yeah so uh, I was a bit bit disappointed about with, with that but um, my my three year old nearly four year old was was happy so that's the main thing uh, my dog had a very big operation wow. that young dogs have so uh, okay. uh, that's been good fun he's been he's almost weaponized the use of his cone now so he's uh, my legs are just full of bruises of him just bashing into me um, but there he's we go. On his head. On his head, yeah, yeah, and it, but I mean, he's he's basically broke it. So he's got, so tomorrow, which is Sunday, uh, he has to have another appointment with the vets, and they'll say yes, he can take it off, or no, he can't take it off, depending on how his wound is. Um, and uh, we've had to basically cut it off today because he's just battered it. So. As somebody who doesn't know about dog biology, why would you have that on your face, given what I'm because you meant? yeah, because uh, dogs lick and clean, and obviously if he licks his wound repeatedly you get an infection in not an area you'd oh. want to get an infection in. So, um, so, well, so yeah, without well, going into too much detail, it's a brilliant place to start the, the podcast. Anyway, Norwich 2, Leeds United 3. Um, Paddy, it's, it's interesting. We had this conversation on the team news video, walking in, I spoke to Norwich fans, spoke to Norwich fans in the build-up. Um, the feeling was not great. There wasn't a lot of optimism around. Um, I myself didn't feel very optimistic. I felt that Leeds had the type of player, the quality of player, the profile of player that would cause Norwich City problems, as it proved in the end. Um, let's let's start at the end because it's one win in in, in seven. Um, I think it's six wins in 22, 23 games now for for David Wagner, obviously spanning a, a season, which is always unfair to do. I, I think um, the league table, obviously, that they're eleventh. I, I said after commentary, I don't think you can read too much into that. Well, then you couldn't have read, read too much of it if Norwich went into fourth today as they were at one point so I don't think you can really read too much of it in, um, now that they're 11th but um, it's the feeling Paddy that I'm, I'm really sh- uh, sort of struck by at this moment in time and it, it was really contrast bet- between the two clubs because before kickoff there was two points behind them and yet the feeling at both clubs was so different. Leeds under Farker, obviously they've kind of had this period of grief almost after Marcelo Bielsa left. They've been through three coaches. Um, it feels like they've kind of struck upon something. They certainly feel like they've struck upon something that can get them in, moving in the right direction again. Um, and, and then you get Norwich where they are at the moment, where it still feels like there's obviously a lot of change going on at the club. Sporting directors are changing. Shareholders are, are, are changing. Um, You've got a head coach there that's kind of bridging in uh, eras, really, which is what David Wagner is doing at the moment. There's this sense maybe of of drift, of limbo, um, of of lack of direction, fairly or unfairly. I think that's 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 certainly what what a few Norwich fans have said to me. Um, and those feelings were probably laid bare by by what we saw at the final whistle. Forget the mechanics of how the game played out, and we will get into that. But purely on feeling at this moment in time, come the full time whistle, those 
feelings around both clubs that one was moving in in one direction and Norwich were heading in the other was was probably quite stark. Yeah, but that's also, and the result underlines it. But how the two teams approached it as well for me, you know, in terms and and if that's representative, which it certainly is with Norwich in the last period of time, and you would assume the way Leeds and Farker are playing is pretty formulaic to what we saw earlier today at Carrow Road. But the excitement, uh, the intensity, the tempo, the, um, the pace, uh, the drive in two contrasting ways of how those teams have approached it, albeit Norwich for periods of that first half and it culminated in the, the second goal scored by Zara. That we saw that and it and that's the elusive and, for me, maddening thing is that that second goal, the the way they manoeuvred the ball in their own defensive third with pace, with drive, into McLean, superb long diagonal pass, almost bypassing the middle third, then on Al Hernandez commits his defender, rolls it into Zara, and then obviously some individual magic from that man. But that, for me, is what one what one hoped was a David Wagner team. That that's what we would see week in week out. That intensity and ruthlessness in transition, and um, and sadly that's. They're like ports in a storm at the moment because um, the, the vast majority of what we're seeing is what we saw in the second half today, what we saw for long periods at Coventry, particularly in that last 20, 25 minutes, and also the second half at Swansea as well. That They're so passive, they're so almost willing or waiting to accept their fate. It's like the fingers are on the precipice and they're just trying to cling on to whatever it was, you know, a draw at Swansea, a win at Coventry, and you know a draw which rapidly descended to... They achieved none of those things. No, so all of that flows into the way you tee this segment up, Connor. That it feels like a holding pattern now at this football club, both on the pitch and off the pitch, and it's going to have to take something, whether it's Napa's appointment and his his actual arrival officially end of this month, to almost unlock. It's like there's some two tectonic plates going on here at the minute, and they're just. They're in a holding pattern. There's nothing. There's nothing really to get excited about watching that David Wagner team since probably Rotherham onwards, uh, ultimately, and um, and that is a sufficiently long body of work now to to not dismiss it as it's uh, 45 minutes as it was at Rotherham when that first game passed because it, it was in direct contrast to what had gone before up to that point in the season. Now, unfortunately, this is the norm, and what we saw at the start of the season was the exception. It feels. Yeah. And, and and you're right, it is unfair to, to overlay last season, but it's the same head coach since January of this year. And increasingly, this eight games unbeaten at the start of the season are, are the anomaly. And that what we're now back to is, you know, what we, did, we saw too often towards the end of the season particularly, which is a team, an approach, a head coach who are off the pace. You know, they're behind the curve. There's other teams, there's other coaches doing it better in the championship um, and if something doesn't change, it's very hard, even with the mitigation of you know dropping Barnes and Sargent back into this mix. But but is that going to tr- dramatically transform what this group are doing and this head coach are doing? I don't think so. So it feels increasingly that you know, David Wagner is, and we don't want you know we don't want to lapse into too much tabloid sensationalism. But he is reaching the point of no return here because you have that Ben Napper equation um, in play now that, you know, is he going to want to come in and inherit? Hypothetically, they don't win another game between now and his appointment in terms of officially starting work, which is, I think, November the 27th. They're going to be way off the pace and that is going to be 10, 12, 14 games where Norwich have failed to perform and, and, and get the results and points that they need to keep pace with those who justifiably think they're in the mix for the top six. So, it's really now for me this period, starting with Middlesbrough onwards, having you know done what they've done today against Leeds. It's it's Middlesbrough onwards between now and Ben Napper arriving, um, which will decide David Wagner's fate, and that feels increasingly the feeling in and around the football club as well. You don't need to need name names, but you know you, you can sense that maybe there's a bit of a holding pattern as well inside the building you know that there's too many there's too many imponderables now about what's Ben Napper going to do is he going to come in and immediately want to shake things up does he want to take a step back and, and maybe give him some some space but he's not going to have that space if Norwich are continuing on this trajectory then then there's going to have to be some pretty immediate medicine um, dispensed by him as as he will be the figurehead so 
it's not a good situation anyway. You cut it, and then it was magnified and amplified by today. You know, two nil up at home, sixty three minutes on the clock, you leak three goals in thirty minutes. Um, it's just not acceptable. And the manner of the goals, particularly Leeds' second and third, the the individual and collective abdications from Norwich. You pull all those strands together. Um, it's a club and a squad going nowhere. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment. And uh, I look at the goals conceded column in, in in the championship at the moment. I think we spoke in the last podcast about the trends, particularly defensively, how concerning they are, where they are in terms of expected goals against, which was among among obviously the highest in in, in the division for that, which puts them ar- around those teams near near to the, the the bottom of the league. The amount of shots they're conceding, they conceded another 19 today, uh, having conceded 20 plus in in the in, in the past two away games. Um, now conceded 22 goals, which is the, the same as Southampton in, in fifth. But it's it's also the same as, as QPR and Rotherham, who are in 22nd and 23rd. So, uh, And he's the, the joint most in the division. So there's, there's, there's real concern at the moment, Sam, about the trends. The, and, and this is why when David Wagner comes out and maybe wants to highlight a, a good performance, I would suggest it was a good half, but... Uh, I can see why if you're a head coach it maybe favours you to, to try and extend that to, to the whole game. Um, the, the trends at the moment are negative and um, it, it, it's really difficult at the moment with obviously the injuries that Norwich have, the squad that Norwich City have, dare I even say maybe the coach that Norwich City have at, the, at this moment in time, to see how those trends start to turn and turn quickly like they'll, they'll need to do. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned those trends because it felt like a performance that was in context as opposed to taking it game by game, as is you know the cliche that most players and managers will reel out on a really regular basis. This felt like a team that knew it was prone to collapse and knew they were under a lot of pressure and knew they were in poor form. It didn't feel like a team that was just that just had a level head, recognised that they were 2-0 up and didn't really consider the opposition. I think you look at a few weeks ago and that Birmingham game when the form admittedly wasn't amazing, but it wasn't, it wasn't where it is now and there hadn't been such a prolonged run of negative results. And you looked at the opposition they faced and I felt that when they went 2-0 up there was a recognition in the team that they were quite comfortable and that they could go on and and dominate that game and, and be fairly comfortable throughout it whereas they go 2-0 up in this Leeds game and it almost felt like from watching it that within the team there was this excitement that they were 2-0 up against a team that was that had gone into the game as such strong favourites but also a worry because they knew that they were in poor form and they knew that Leeds were the favourites and they felt like they were sort of vulnerable and you did see them retreat in the same way that they did against Coventry and I just wonder if, for all the talk of ignoring the noise, that sort of entered their heads and the context around a performance is affecting it and that shouldn't ever be how it is in football. Yes, we're bored of those clichés of take it game by game and you know we always want to hear people come out and say that they're desperate to win the league and whatever but it is true that the best policy to take when you want to perform well is just to concentrate on the moment and I thought they did that fairly well for 60 minutes I think even to be fair to to Wagner I know you said it was a good half I would say it was a good one good attacking half and then they actually looked fairly controlled I thought in the first 15-20 minutes of the the second half and if they could have carried that on, I think they would have been all right. But it just felt as the half went on that there was this building sense of fear and inevitability that Leeds were going to come into the game. And, and I think you said, um, to your credit, when it was 2-1, you said if Leeds equalise, they'll go on and win. And I think that was probably the feeling that everybody, or a lot of people at least, at Carrow Road had. So increasingly it feels like we're speaking about mentality issues which should never have really been the case. If that was their main priority this summer, um, you know, we've spoke about it several times about going and getting Jack Stacey and Shane Duffy and Danny Bart and Adam Forshaw or Ashley Barnes, so on, so on, so on. If it was really about addressing mentality and experience and leadership, then why are we talking so much about a team that can't control those elements um, in games and get the points that they've deserved based on a lot of very strong 60 minutes throughout the season. So, yeah, I think the trends are mainly worrying because I think they're filtering into performances and filtering into atmospheres. Um, 
and that's something that Norwich have to try and arrest really quickly because this is a brutal league and they're not just going to be able to plod along and eventually luckily win a game because it's just not falling their way at the moment and um, Wagner did speak about how you know post-match he spoke about how he felt that if they could carry on these performance levels that win wasn't too far away but with some of the fixtures they've got coming up they've got some really really good sides in there and it is difficult to see uh, where it comes from so yeah you're right in that those trends are concerning but what's maybe even more concerning is that you can see them in their performances yeah Paddy um as Sam mapped out there, uh, if we if we speak about the game uh, a, a little bit, um, and, and Sam's kind of mapped out the, the the first good 45, 60 minutes, you can you can have a debate um, on, on that. Uh, I, I would agree. I think they, they did start the, the second half relatively well, to to be fair. Um, and it's interesting speaking to Shane Duffy when uh, after the game, uh, and he said that the message didn't change. It was actually can we go and get a third, and can we go and kill the game, and can we keep pressing them high and uh, in his words, um, we stopped playing. Was was what he said, which was um, which was quite telling. But to, for it to be 62 minutes on on the clock, Paddy, for Norwich City to be two 0 up in a game of football, and we can talk about the quality that Leeds United have, and they undoubtedly have, have loads. You only have to look at the front four and the, the substitutions that that they made. But Norwich City were two 0 up at Carrow Road. Um, by the 85th minute, Somerville is is running halfway across the pitch, having scored Leeds United's third goal to to win the game uh, that's 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 a collapse isn't it it's uh, whatever the context however it, it panned out it's really difficult to to use any other word for that than, than collapse particularly given the way the goals panned out uh, a lot of them were of their own making well I mean that phrase there a lot of this six seven game block in which they've only taken one win is of their own making and then that for me is rests firmly with with Wagner Structurally, there's something clearly wrong. If you are, and you've referenced the figures already again today, we've talked about it on previous pods. Last three, last three games they've played, 19 plus chances to Leeds, 23, I think it was Cov, and 20 to Swansea. You cannot go anywhere, home or away in the Championship, cough up that amount of chances. And okay, you can get into the nuance of well, how many of those were on target and so on and so forth. But eight. There you go. But the reality is, something is structurally wrong in what Norwich are trying to do out of possession. And I think that's really the negative legacy of no Barnes, no Sergeant, because they were contrasted to now, that period when they were available. Out of possession, Norwich was so structured, so cohesive, led by those two and the way they pressed intelligently as a pair. Adam Eder can't do that. Huang can't do that. Liam Gibbs and these experiments, that's not giving them the same reassuring presence. And as a result, as much as we can malign... Duffy or Gibson and, and the defence as a whole. There's no protection there at all. I mean, we can talk about that first 45. And yes, in an offensive fashion, capped by the second goal, it was better compared to recent games. But how many times again did Leeds cut through, bypass midfield and were essentially, by virtue of their own poor finishing, not back on level terms or even ahead? Um, so for me, that doesn't mask even that first half, which was better with the ball, Against it, there's there's something fundamentally flawed in this Wagner setup with his coaching team, and unless that changes, then that isn't going to change. Middlesbrough will, will come here Tuesday night and 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 have ample amount of opportunities to score, as will Sunderland when they go to Wearside at the weekend. You have you have to address the glaring errors in in this this Norwich squad, this Norwich approach from David Wagner, and until they do then don't expect to win too many games of football at this level because, um, you know, even it's been proven again today, visibly, even when they're 2-0 up with, with an hour gone, they're still not secure. And they're not secure because first leads goal, transition, third leads goal, transition, second leads goal, switch off at a, a corner. Um, you know, teams will be doing their analysis on Norwich every week now and know the way they set up defensively in terms of out of possession there's ample opportunities if you have the quality of player leads particularly possess to, to profit from that. So, you know, for me, that cuts to the heart of the matter. This is what this is really underpinning why they are one win in six or seven games now is because his coaching is in terms of setup and approach out of possession is flawed. Uh, and we'll, we'll come to a, a, 
a bigger discussion about David Wagner in, in, in the second half of the show. But, but Sam, if we, if we do talk about that first half, because for the, for the poor elements that Paddy has, has referenced, and they were there, and, and there's it's no point uh, me following up and saying, oh, that was all bad, let's talk about some good stuff, because the, one doesn't outweigh the other. You have to recognise them both. But um, the way they did play in the first half was better. I thought they were better in terms of the provocation of, of that press that we've seen in recent games. They haven't been patient enough doing that. They were maybe much to the, the, the Barclays' annoyance at times, but they were a little bit better on that front. You, you look at the second goal, it comes because uh, I think Perot engages um, long, it might have been at that point, I think. Uh, then it's into Duffy and, and the space that Perot left, McLean slots in, Norwich play out, McLean with a long ball forward in, and obviously Gabby Sarah does um, what, what Gabby Sarah does. He's very good at football. But even even beyond that second goal, the, the template of a lot of what they were doing from an offensive sense was significantly improved. And I think David Wagner was right when he said that in possession they, they were a lot better today. Um, the, the first 45 minutes, and, and, and look, many will argue it's irrelevant now because of, of the result, but um, there were signs in there that structurally, certainly in possession, that there was improvement. There were signs to be hopeful. Yeah, I think it's important to make that before I go on and be positive, there was it is important to make that distinction that definitely in possession they were very good. I thought out of possession they maybe coughed up even better chances than they conceded in the the second half. So they could have actually gone in behind, but um, you know they didn't. So as you say, it was a very positive half. I thought overall, and they moved the ball really, really well. I think it was the best they've probably played attack-wise for a prolonged period since. That sergeant injury against Huddersfield back in August, um, they have put together some pretty smooth moves for goals at, at various times, but I don't think they've had a half where they looked as dangerous um, as they did. And I just thought they had a number of combinations that were really working well. Rowe and Stacey were two that had worked together very well at the start of the season and that we'd spoken about a lot. And they were working together really well um, on the right. Gabriel Sarah and Kenny McLean, work together very well and to be fair to Adam Eder um, it will be a game that m most won't remember for his um, his performance because he didn't score and because Norwich didn't end up winning but I thought actually he was really good and he showed a level of confidence and decision in his play that we haven't really seen from him um, too much in a Norwich shirt so I thought a lot of the players really had good games and they proved that they don't actually need Barnes and Sargent to be a threat. Yes, they have obviously looked a more consistent threat with those two in the team, but they probably now have, in a, a way, taken the excuse away from themselves in that those set, that set of players, um, without Barnes and Sargent, can go and perform and it can work. Structurally, as you said, I think the the way that they built through, it looked much more rehearsed and much more... Um, like coached. yeah, coached. Coached is a, a good word for how they looked in the first half, to be honest. And although there were those frailties defensively, they would have beaten a number of Championship teams playing that way over the course of ninety minutes. In fact, given the quality that Leeds have, we can probably say if they played like that for forty-five minutes and then played at their average level for the second half, they would have beaten most teams in the Championship. So it is quite. It's quite important that we don't brush over that. You know, if we had all taken samples of how we were talking about them at half time, everything would have been different. And I think we have criticised coaches in particular at times. It was a sort of Dean Smith favoured trope to wheel out. If they had one, they'd be in fourth or whatever. And and I don't think that really is a relevant argument a lot of the time. But it is true that with how close the championship is at the moment, everyone would be absolutely elated if they had just managed to stave off a little bit of of Leeds quality and probably if that half had come early on in the season regardless of Sargent and Barnes involvement I think the mentality would have been such that they would have been able to to see that through so um, yeah I think a lot to be positive about from that first half especially how good they were because it has been a real concern of mine since Sargent and Barnes have been injured really is that they're almost relying on a little bit of luck and an individual moment to, to go and get them a goal without that structural build-up and without those players that are so key in the tactical system. A lot of the time it's been a, a darting run from John Rowe, or to be fair, it was one of these goals, but the Gabriel Sara moment, that's what they've been waiting for a lot of the time. But even that one, 
today came from, as you said, good structural building out, a great pass from Kenny McLean on a Hernandez finding space on the edge of the box. So lots to be pleased with there. It's just about whether they can reproduce it because there are a lot of players who were very key in that that have also proved themselves to be quite inconsistent this season. So reproduction of that is going to be the most difficult element of it. Um, but you can't really take too much away from them. If they had been more solid defensively and their mentality had been better, when you score two goals in any football game, really at a professional level, you should expect to win. Yes, uh, uh, agreed. And um, particularly when you put in the work that they do, uh, did, and they, they get themselves in the position that they did at home, at Carroll Road, um, you've got to certainly not lose that game but I think you've you've probably got to win it um, to, to be completely honest and it's it's the first time uh, since ni- the 1950s I think that Norwich have been turning up at half time at Carroll Road and lost and that was against Newport I think um, courtesy of NCFC numbers I mean it might have been 56 but don't quote me on that um, we're going to take a quick quick pause it won't it'll be seamless for you guys and then we're going to uh, jump in and uh, have a little chat about David Wagner Okay then, let's uh, let's chat David Wagner, which I think is is where a lot of Norwich City fans are at the moment. It's um, as I said, perhaps exasperated a little bit today by the fact that uh, you know a Norwich City X, for for want of a better phrase, was was in the opposing dugout and all of the the narrative and, and emotion that that brings, I guess. Um, but there, there is a lot of focus on him at the moment, Paddy, for for the runs that we've spoken about, for the statistics, for the trends, um, because I I, I think. And I think both of these statements can be true. You can say that David Wagner's inherited a really difficult job in really difficult circumstances financially. Uh, the squad that he inherited, the situation that he inherited, uh, the club, dare I say, that he inherited, uh, the financial constraints he was working under, all the change that he's had above him since he, he, he took charge in January with be that sporting director uh, leaving or in the process of leaving on gardening leave, essentially, um, but still working. Uh, a Obviously, a change in terms of shareholders and, and, and boardroom level. All of this kind of creates an instability and, and, and you do kind of see that have an impact on clubs. Unstable clubs don't tend to do particularly well. Um, so there is a, a, a clear link between that. Um, so you can say that. You can also throw in that Norwich have had really bad injuries at really bad points. And we're, we're obviously hoping that Angus Gunn isn't another one after he limped off today. But the Josh Sargent injury came at a bad time for Norwich. The Ashley Barnes injury came at a bad time for Norwich. Um, so you can, you, can, you can throw all of that in there. And, and, and you can also, I think, say on the flip side and, and have a more nuanced look at this and say all of those things can be true. And you can also probably say that Norwich should be looking better structurally. They should be looking better coached. They should be making better substitutions. They should be making um, better decisions. They should be reacting in certain ways. The trends shouldn't be as alarming as, as they are. Both of those elements in, in this conversation can, can be true. And for me, it probably feeds back to where we started. It's the narrative of this whole thing. People have, uh, have said to me in, in the last few weeks, oh, this feels like a bit like the Daniel Farker season year one and I think we've spoken about this before on the pod and um, it, it, it does in, in the sense that Norwich are looking like a mid-table championship team but I think there's there's a lot of different context around it the, the profile of player that they've recruited the direction of travel they've they're, they're heading in this this kind of feeling that we spoke about of, of limbo and of drift um, and, and I think as well supporters and again we said this on the last podcast rightly or wrongly justly or unjustly I'm not saying this is my opinion but uh, supporters are saying and, and looking at it and going, well, we've got a new sporting director coming in. He's not going to be the head coach for very long. Uh, and that, that probably doesn't help with, with the picture and the narrative itself. So it's a very difficult place that he finds himself in. In many ways, you could argue he's been given an absolute hospital pass, really, as, uh, for, the, for this Norwich City job. He's spanning eras. It's, it's so difficult for head coaches to be the continuity. We know that. It's why Norwich moved to a sporting director model in the first place. And, and it's probably also fair to say probably doesn't feel like he's getting the best out of this Norwich City team at the moment. No, it's a perfect summation for me, that Connor, the last sort of four or five minutes, the way you've mapped it out is exactly how I would see it. it, it there are there are a lot in the ledger that uh, uncontrollables that he's having to deal with and navigate and they are very challenging, very challenging indeed. Um, he must be feeling that sense of deja vu here because I think Schalke wasn't, wasn't dissimilar in terms of the upheaval off the pitch. I think it was more a financial um, aspect, but uh, Clearly, it seeped into the on-field performance, and, and he wasn't able to arrest that on the pitch. And 
I'm sure there's a part of him in a quieter moment or two is is fearing not like for like, but he can see the parallels there. And once you get on that slope, it's very difficult to to turn it round. And yeah, I mean, ultimately the the Ben Napper dimension is is the biggest one now moving forward. And he spoke after Coventry that he'd had a positive initial meeting with him and liked a lot of his ideas. And and I'm sure that was reciprocated um, from, from Ben Napper's side, but. You know, it all comes down to results, as as always in this game. And um, you know, whatever whatever the circumstances, whatever the cards he's been dealt, um, I think if you just pare down to what is under his control, what he can shape and navigate, I, I don't think he is delivering to the extent that he should be. You know, seven, eight unbeaten at the start of the season, now one one win in seven. I mean, that's. That's too wide a disparity. You know, you could understand post-Barnes, post-Sergeant um, are tailing off in terms of results and maybe performance, but this is going too far the other way. And, you know, I think you've said it before, if you actually look at David Wagner's entire managerial career, all his various postings, Streaky. that streakiness is yeah. there, is, is evident. And that's quite hard to put your finger on why that is the case. But we are seeing that again. If you look over the entirety of since he walked in the door in January of this year to now... It is clumps of performance interspersed with two two prolonged fallow periods, if you want to put it that way, and we're in one now. So, um, yes, yes, he's he's got a tough hand. Yes, it, it's difficult because of the changes at board level, the change in the footballing figurehead, i.e., the sporting director role. Um, feeling maybe that you know the, the the rug's being pulled a little bit under him. I'm sure in terms of what he thought maybe was the brief when he walked through the door in January to what it is going to be now moving forward. Um, but he he still has enough resource available, even without Barnes or Sargent, to be better. This group should be better than one win in the last seven, no doubt about it, um, particularly after the start to the season, which would have surely dispelled any fragility in terms of those who would on, were on the journey at the back end of last season. You know, the fact that they were winning games, playing well, momentum was there. For that to dissipate so dramatically... Um, is on is for me on on the head coach and, and you know the the leadership he's showing. So yes, there is mitigation, but you still you still have to say that even in that context, one win in seven isn't nowhere near where even even a Norwich group who who are maybe in a bit of a transitional phase as a football club would expect to be in terms of the championship. So you know, as I say, I think in very short order. Um, push will have have to come to shove in terms of is David Wagner Ben Napper's man for this season and we'll ride it on from there and then it may start to look a bit more like that first Farker season in terms of this is this is a building job again now and um, it might not be in the short term but we'll try and do something mid to longer term or new new sporting director does he want a new head coach in place and then it's a clean sheet and then on you go and um, and everything then is clearly pointing towards a new cycle um, because at the moment obviously David Wagner is part of the current cycle and, and you know if the results aren't where they need to be then I'm, sh- I'm sure Ben Napper will have to make some tough early calls Yeah and in, in the next few weeks in the next month or so Norwich obviously you, know, you mentioned Ben Napper he's, he's going to start his job officially as, as sporting director I'm sure he's he's keeping an eye on things I'm sure he is we know he's a data man I'm sure he's, he's looking at the trends and looking at the data at the moment but uh, they're going to have a new sporting director they're going to have uh, uh, a new kind of shareholder set up they're going to be, be run by joint minority shareholders it kind of feels like he is the overhang really doesn't it um which is which is difficult and 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 also sam i think you know so often in terms of these conversations they're always really difficult conversations they have because you have to remember that there's a human being at the center of it and um I've, I've always tried to stray or stay away from you know calling for people to lose jobs because I, I don't really feel that that's that's our position I, you know you can only assess point things out and, and kind of um ask dif- difficult questions i guess um but a lot of it often weighs on what supporters think and what supporters feel. And um, certainly, you know, we were at Carrow Road today. There wasn't enough there. It wasn't at <laughs> Dean Smith Blackburn levels. But uh, And I think this maybe speaks to where David Wagner finds himself a, a little bit because there are there, there are extremes with, with, with managers and maybe Norwich's last two have, have kind of shown that. There's the Farker one where, um, you know, there's probably an acceptance that there needs to be a change made, but there's probably a sadness of what it signifies and that it's the end of an era and... Um, someone so popular and the fact that his name 
not just today, it's been mentioned for two years constantly and that decision has been scrutinised and analysed and regretted by Norwich fans for so long. Some Norwich fans, not all of them, um, shows the, the impact that he had. You, you then have the opposite end of the spectrum, which is kind of the code red, which is just a real disdain for the personality, which I think we saw with Dean Smith. There was a complete rejection of him, his footballing ideas, his identity. And then you've got this big chunk of grey matter in between the two. And I think David Wagner is probably in between there because I don't think Norwich fans are have a strong feeling that uh, he should go at this stage at this moment in time. I don't feel like the, there's a bulk of fans who feel that he should stay. Either. It kind of feels like whatever they did would kind of be met by. Oh yeah, okay then. Yeah. Um, it's it's a, a a really it's a really curious position because often when, when we speak about managers, head coaches reaching untenable positions, that's obviously provoked by the fans. I'm not sure if there's the if there's bad enough feeling, for want of a better term, to, to, to provoke that at the moment. It's just for want of a better word, it just kind of feels like uh, maybe acceptance is the wrong word, but that's the word I'm kind of leaning to. Maybe inevitability is a better word. kind of feels like fans just are in this cycle that what's happening now was, was kind of always going to happen. Yeah, I think it feels like if he were to go now, it would be more of a, a, a sort of awkward acceptance that, it maybe wasn't quite meant to be than the, as, as you said, either end of the spectrum, the sort of love and adoration, um, but eventual everything has to end to the you know absolute, this completely hasn't worked. So I think it is somewhere in the middle, as you say, and probably whenever he ends up going, unless, that's, unless these poor results continue for 18 months and they don't do it, I think whenever he ends up going, it probably will be somewhere in between the Dean Smith and uh, Daniel Farker realms. But what I think when I look at this sort of debate, and as you said, inevitably, you know, we we don't like to come down particularly hard on either side, but inevitably every debate about a head coach leads to when it's negative, should they stay or, or should they be fired? And I don't really see what Norwich actually would gain, at least in the short to mid-term, from getting rid of him. And I don't think that's anywhere near happening at the moment you know I think we're at least several weeks away from that to be honest but if they did given the sort of flux that we've spoken about and the transitional period for me especially until you know Ben Napper's got his foot in the door he's got his ideas in place the only thing they would be able to replace him with would be a sort of Alan Irvin a, a, an, in, or an interim boss or somebody who's just there to oversee the short term and I think if you're just going to do that, why not just keep David Wagner in position? He's somebody who has experience, he knows the league fairly well, and he's not been, especially given the hand he's been dealt, you know, I agree with you that he does, he should have got better results from the last few weeks than he has, but I don't think they've been catastrophic when you take all of the the factors um, on board and you look at what, what he's had to play with. So, yeah, I just don't see what, what they would really gain from getting rid of him in the next couple of months. If Ben Napper, you know, I would, as as you say, I would never call for him to go, but if Ben Napper gets to the end of the season, decides he wants to go in a different direction and then gets a completely different head coach with completely different ideas, that would make a lot more sense to me. But for now, you're either replacing Wagner with a sort of interim solution or you're giving whoever the, the chief of the new project is going to be, just a few awkward months where they're going to be in this sort of strange no-man's land. And I don't see what they could really achieve from that with a group of players that won't be their own and with a direction that isn't completely um, decided by then. I don't really see what Norwich would gain from that. So unless they end up being in relegation trouble or results really do take a ridiculous nosedive... What what do you really gain from that? And that's can they, not... can they keep going though, like this? I mean, if if it extends and and let's say we get to the end of this week and it's it's one in nine, that that becomes very difficult. Well, I think it's incredibly difficult for them to uh, to reach the playoffs probably this season. But I don't think they're going to get relegated. So then you look at that and what are the consequences really? Do you? Th I mean, maybe you you see it differently to me, but do you really think there's any head coach out there that's going to get them in the playoffs? This season, but but ultimately, I think I think this is this is where the discussion becomes interesting because, like we all, pre I think we all predicted. I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I, yeah, did you predict Norwich to finish in the top six? No, I think, I think it was all. Six, yeah, well, I think I, I think you did. So Paddy did cautiously, right? Yeah. Um, but 
and, and I agree. I don't think the fan, which is probably why it's not been so strong, because there is an element of, well, this is probably what was going to happen yeah. anyway. But certainly inside Carrow Road, the, and, and Zoe Webber's written about it in numerous programme columns, and uh, Stuart Webber referenced it, David Wagner's referenced it, it has been about getting into the playoffs. So yeah. you, we can talk about maybe fan expectation being one place, but ultimately it's, it's a judgment against what the club expectations are. That's ultimately what David Wagner has to, has to meet, isn't it? It's not, it's not what the, the, the fans think. And I, I mean, what's, what's kind of your take on, on that, Paddy? Because the, the messaging to me, at least, unless I've got this majorly wrong, which is always a possibility, seemed to be that that was why they'd gone down the path they had with the signings that they made. It was to, to compete and try and get into the top six. Well, Sergeant's contract renewal, go and watch his club interview. He talks quite clearly to get back and be part of a team who get promoted this season, be the championship top scorer in the process. So, so does that expectation matter in, in that kind of when when that is well, when mean, those that, are the expectations in the club being set by those? Does that matter? Well, only in the sense that you know, quite clearly, fans should expect the same as the, if the players and those shaping the direction of travel above the players are talking openly in terms of no everything we're doing, everything we've done in the summer transfer window was with a view to this team justifiably being in the promotion mix, then what it would seem a little bit strange for any fan to then think that wasn't the case and that isn't achievable because that's what you've been messaged by those who are actually in this equation and who are trying to achieve that. So, no, no, I mean, fans should rightly expect because that's what they've been told to expect. So, you know, that that's the measure. And, you know, Dean Smith, probably that's what did for him in the end that he was he was he was bold enough to come out and sort of top two was the target wasn't it and I think Stuart Webber was was on the same page there and, and he made the top 12 <laughs> no but then two. then that was the that was that was yeah, the, yeah. the the bar wasn't it that they had to clear and when he was falling sufficiently below that and then the football wasn't where it needed to be either in terms of a an entertainment commodity then then he was on thin 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 ice and um no, I think Wagner will be on thin ice if he, you know, if we get into one win in double figures territory, because, Again. yeah, because that isn't that isn't acceptable for a club who've set this season up to be one challenging for promotion. And, and I don't think it, there should be an acceptance either of this season just kind of drifting into into nothingness either. If it, with the squad that they've got, with the way that they've recruited, they can't really let it do that. They can't let it drift into no man's land. I don't think for for for, for, your, for your feeling, even even amongst the the, the kind of change and. Um, and, and, and what's happening kind of upstairs. I think there, there does need to try and, and, and financially more than anything else. We, we all know that and we're going to see it, I think, graphically illustrated in, in the accounts when they come out later this month, next month. There's a there's almost a necessity to, to try and get back to the Premier League. So this idea that um, they can just maybe kind of plot around in mid-table, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure that's... That's um, that's going to to, to do. Um, let's let's talk about Daniel Farker. We've got we've got 42 minutes into the podcast and uh, not referenced his return so far. Um, Sam, what, what did you make of it? I mean, he has always been a brilliant commander of audiences. He's always been a front man. If he was in a band, he'd be the lead singer. Um, but just a really classy operator, isn't he? The way he conducted himself throughout his his return to Carrow Road. Classy, probably the the word that that we'd use. Yeah, I don't think anyone was especially surprised to see how he conducted himself. Um, probably Leeds' form is what allowed him to do that a little bit. I know he said post-match that even if Norwich had won the game, his behaviour would have been exactly the same, but I don't think he could have come out in his post-match and been quite so open about how much this football club meant to him if Leeds, A, hadn't won that game and B, weren't in such a good vein of form as they are um, at the moment. But... Yeah, I think it was the the reception that he he probably deserved. It feels like quite a strange situation now to be diving into somebody's past with the club. Um, sort of, what is it now? About three years since he he left. Two two years since he left the club. Um, it is quite strange to be sort of delving back into that legacy, but with a little bit of separation from it, to not have thought about it for a while, and then to go back and think about actually what he achieved with this club and the bond that he had with those fans, it, it it almost still, although he has had that goodbye moment finally with them today, it still feels quite sad whenever you really think about it and I think about it because I know everyone at the time knew that he was a fantastic manager, knew that there was a fantastic bond between him and the fans and the players um, by and large and you know just the whole club felt like it was sort of built around him. 
but I think the context has made that feel even stronger. You know, you had Dean Smith who obviously didn't connect with fans in the same way, obviously didn't really understand the club and didn't fit with the club as well as Farker did. And then after that, it felt almost like it could have been a Smith problem. But Wagner comes in and he's, by all accounts, somebody who um, who galvanised supporters at other clubs. You know, our editor is a Huddersfield Town fan and he talks up how how big of a legend he is in those parts and how much he was loved by supporters. And even he hasn't had anywhere close to the connection with this football club and with those supporters that Daniel Farker had. So it felt like quite a unique thing. I think you can still tell that Farker still feels it from how he spoke about it. He, he was, it was not too far away from, you know, emotional from him in the, the, the post-match. I mean, he obviously the words that he said were, but you could tell that he really meant them. And, um, yeah, I think that was a nice moment. Probably, you know, for him, I think it's a shame fans didn't get to really... They were probably a little bit disappointed at the moment they managed to... if At the moment, they were properly reunited with him. But I thought there were many touches of class in there. I think he even said post-match that he avoided doing the sort of waves that he did as Norwich head coach because he felt that would be disrespectful to do that at Carrow Road and yeah as you say he just is a, a completely class act and he he could have been doing it all for the PR and for the support that fans were giving him at Carrow Road he could have just completely understood that he needed them on side and it could have all been just a performance but the fact that he's still keen to do all of that when he's the head coach of another football club I think shows you that that's still very important to him and it actually is part of part of him as a personality rather than just part of his mission to be successful as a head coach. So, um, yeah, a class act, a quite sad reminder of how good things were here really not too long ago. And it does feel like they've taken quite a nosedive. So in that context, it feels almost like a, a sad moment. But I think um, if ever Norwich fans wanted a Leeds team to do well, it's probably this one just because of Farker. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it, it is a good point you make the the kind of management of the relationship that he was trying to maintain today with Norwich fans because he doesn't need to do that anymore. Everyone knows how brutally he he was sacked after that 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 win at Brentford, and I think Stuart Webber's alluded to it himself. It's it's never a nice conversation to have, let alone in in the way that Norwich City had to had to have it with him. But uh, you know there would have been some people I'm sure who would have taken that in a completely different way and would have been over there waving and fist yeah. pumping and. Uh, you know that will show you type you know well, type type vibe. Ramsey really. I mean, he wasn't. He didn't have any any problem with. I mean, I know he's obviously a much Aaron younger Ramsey. man. I thought you meant the Welsh one. No, then. no, no. <laughs> like, I was just. But I was just thinking he's not really ever yeah. had any problem with fans. But because of whatever's happened above True. him and the reason that he left the club, he's decided to go and take it out on them, which Farker hasn't done. So you know you have to give him. I mean, admittedly, one is what twenty and the other one's yeah. mid forties. But yeah. you know, I think the point still stands. Yeah, I, I really did think as he walked over to the Leeds fans, he was he was going to do it, and uh, you know the fact he didn't, I think, was was classy. And actually, there was the uh, Somerville goal where, when obviously he scored the winner. The, the whole of Leeds's bench has jumped up. He's obviously come across to the bench. Farker had actually kind of moved away from the dugout. Didn't really want to be involved in in the celebrations. It was, you know, I guess the same as a. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, an Norwich legend coming back and scoring a goal and not celebrating. What's it really mean in the grand scheme of things? Not much, but um, just little touch. It, it was kind of glittered with, with class throughout. And um, there was a, a nice moment at the end that I was, I was telling you boys about after he'd done his, his press, he came through. The Leeds team had, um, had, had got out pretty good. I think they, they, they were flying back tonight, so it's, it, it was quite a quick getaway. And obviously the way it ended for him at Norwich was in that away dressing room at Brentford when he was sacked by, by Stuart Webber. Um, Obviously, he was allowed to go back to Colney and, and, and whatnot, and we, sh we should add that as well. But uh, his, his Carrow Road reunion ended with, with uh, a chat with, with Delia Smith and Michael Wynne-Jones in an empty away dressing room, just, just kind of reflecting. And uh, not sure if, if they would have got a chance to say goodbye to him and, and whatnot, but um, a, a nice moment. And, um, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's easier to do all of that when you win, though, Paddy, isn't it? You have to, you have to, you have to add that. No, I mean, Sam was spot on with, with what he was saying, that, there was it was genuine, you know, the feelings he has for this club. You know, again, he re-referenced after the today's game as he did pre-match about you know, Norwich is in his heart, and um, and 
you know, in a in a cynical world of professional football, particularly at the top end and a ruthless business, which it is, and he obviously was on the sharp end of that. That the way he dressed him at Brentford two years or so to the day that, you know, th there is a, a genuine warmth and it's reciprocated by those fans. You could you could see that both pre-match, you know, the, the scale and the length of the appreciation that was shown to him as he appeared in the away dugout and then at the final whistle, um, that you know that was a special time. As Sam said, it was a special time and. When you're in it, you probably don't realise how special. But um, you know, they, Norwich changed his life, changed his coaching life. You know, took him, plucked him from second-tier coach at Borussia Dortmund. Who knows where he would have gone on to go from there, and put him on a stage with Pep Guardiola and you know Jurgen Klopp, and um, and what he's gone on to do since. And obviously now, you know, a massive club in Leeds have viewed him as quite rightly as, as a Championship serial winner. And want a bit of that because they want to get back to the Premier League, and it just you know taking a step back. If the, if he does get Leeds back up, I think that'll be fascinating then because he will get backed, and it won't be the financial straitjacket that he was operating under certainly the first time around in the Premier League under Norwich. What can he do? Because that was you know when you when you slice up the Farker Norwich City legacy, it's so much good things, but was the Premier League a bridge too far for him as a coach? Well, we'll know. We'll find out if he gets Leeds there because he will be backed. And if he succeeds there, then you know it'll probably just reinforce for a, quite a large proportion of Norwich fans that uh, they wish he was still here and that he was the one that got away effectively and that maybe it was the structure and the infrastructure around him that was the issue uh, rather than the man himself. And, you know, as he said on Thursday, I think it was, you know, um, and again, he was asked today, you know, what did it mean? And he said he didn't, I think it was something along the lines of, he did, it, 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 what did it mean to get that level of respect from the Norwich fan base? And he said... He didn't want to say in public, but you can take it. It meant a lot, and and you know maybe years down the line we'll, you know, freed probably of uh, of his you know allegiances to Leeds as it is now. Whoever in the future, you know, he'll open up about this period. But uh, there's no doubt um, Norwich were good for him, and he was he was good for Norwich. So it was a beautiful period in the recent history of this football club, and, and I guess whether you're doing what we do for a living or if you, you're a fan, you just when you've had a piece of that and it's been that good, you want you want it again, don't you? And that's what the current frustrations are that you know you, you don't see a path to eventually ending up to what it was when it was that good under him and and Stuart Webber. Let's be honest, because it was those two as a partnership and um, that chemistry was what what fueled Norwich on quite a ride really. And um, you know it feels a long way away at the present. So yeah, to, to, it does feel like squaring the circle or completing the circle today that. He did get a chance to probably say goodbye both to the fan base and it sounds like from what you're describing there the, the, the soon-to-be minority owners. So, um, yeah, I'd just, I'd just be delighted. I'd be very intrigued to know if him and Stuart Webber had a, had, had a chat at any point today and we might find out in due course. But um, I get the sense that there, there probably isn't. I mean, they both understood. That's that's the ruthless edge to this business. And, um, you know, he felt it in Munching Gladbach as well, didn't he, in the last 12 months. So he knows what goes with the territory. And... Um, you know, I'm sure that any sort of rupture in their relationship will be repaired in time as well. So, um, yeah, just obviously disappointing from an Norwich perspective today, but um, that human element was very nice to see, that there was that mutual feeling of warmth that's, you know, still there, even two years down the track and the way it all ended. And, um, you know, that's pretty rare, I think. Yes, particularly for a Leeds manager <laughs> as, as, uh, as well. Um he actually looked quite teary when he. I don't know if he was, but he, he looked that. Uh, might have just been the way the the light was. I don't know, but he looked quite teary as he kind of made his his, his way. He was just walking to the away dressing room at, at that point. It was after he'd done his media. Um, tell us about the fire alarm. What what oh. what what happened? What unfolded? I wasn't in the room, so what what's gone on there, Paddy? Never, never in all the years I've been covering them as, as that happened. That um, Farker was in first. Seventeen minutes later, in his usual eulogy style, uh, he departed, and uh, in walked David Wagner. Not more than 30 seconds after he'd sat down, some official rushed in from the back of the press room um, to announce that uh, there was a, a fire alarm in progress and we all had to vacate, and that included the Norwich head coach. So, uh, yeah, cue a bit of uh, thinking on the hoof from, uh, I think, their head of comms, to give him his credit. And um, once it was established that actually pitch side was OK, 
which just seems a bit strange if we have to like the grass can't catch fire. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, go inside a stadium which yeah. apparently is on fire, or, or I don't even know. Uh, presumably, it was a false alarm because I've not heard of anything regarding mass we masses of appliances. Yeah. yeah, and we were allowed back in, wasn't we? So, thankfully, there was no actual fire. But um, so yeah, we had a, an impromptu huddle with David Wagner. Um, not far from the snake pit. So, yeah, it would have been interesting if that had happened when the snake pit was there and what the reaction might have been. But, uh, yeah, I can honestly say that's never happened before. And uh, if I was, if I, if I had the comedic uh, qualities, there's definitely a pun there with fire alarms and David Wagner. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, and then he was, yeah, as we've discussed and as you can watch now on the pink, and, you know, he's, he thought a lot of that was good and, um, and that there's something to build on. So, uh, you know, I guess... We will see, starting with Middlesbrough, Tuesday night. What I like about that video is he looks like he's got the hump with our, our video uh, uh, video uh, videographer, I'll give him his name, Adam Harvey, because the, the way, oh, the way it's know, framed, yeah, he's, got, he's got quite... Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. probably... probably, <laughs> probably, probably well, uh, to be fair, we, had to keep, we kept him waiting on the steps while, right. while AH tried to frame it up, but it's obviously... Amateurs. Well, yeah, yeah. I saw David Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, no, to be fair to him, I mean, he, you know, he could have used, he could have used that as well. That's it. We can't do a presser. See you later, lads um, or ladies. But uh, no, he was good. He was good. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was surprisingly given. He'd seen his team leak three goals in thirty minutes in the second half after winning two 0 He was actually, you know, very measured and um, quite upbeat. So it was a bit unnerving actually because you thought he might have been fuming. But uh, yeah, a few times disarming. he walks in quite, you know, quite calm after yeah. a loss. But I suppose. Yeah, it was after a bit. He had a bit of time to digest, digest it. It did feel a bit like school. I thought how we were all sort of a bit close to each other on them little yeah. all looking down at you him. Know, I've I've got a good story about a fire alarm, a fire alarm. When I was in primary school, you know, you do these nativity plays. I was yeah. I can't I I hadn't got a leading role, which no, you know, know was, which was. Um, did you do drama? Though? Yeah, I, I did it later. I was only about six. I think <laughs> I was on the drums. I think in this, and uh, we we were halfway through a song about you know Jesus and the donkey and. Uh, the others um, and then the fire alarm goes off and, and it was because someone had put uh, a, a tried to put a toaster on and um, had put it on too high a setting in so, yeah, yeah no in another room in a staff room I think and um, and, oh, it, and it had burnt so and, and because it was near a smoke alarm the smoke from the toaster went up and set all the smoke alarms off we had to, we had to go out mid-song did you finish the nativity? I think so yeah oh, okay. well it would have been actually probably more realistic when you were outside huddled <laughs> in a barn somewhere with some animals yeah maybe maybe um, big week Sam it's, it's going to be well it's two games two game week as is the championship we go two weeks with no games and uh, one week with three games it's the beauty of it it's why we love it um, Norwich here uh, back here at Carrow not here they're not playing in here they're at Carrow Road on, on, on Tuesday night Middlesbrough uh, the visitors northeast theme to the rest of the week then we travel to to Sunderland um, and uh, we might I don't know will we see the second worst um, landmark in the UK, which is the Angel of the North. I don't, I don't know if we, if we, go, <laughs> we quite go, if we quite go north. Of, but, uh, Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, Answers <laughs> directed to at CJ Southwell. What was it, 1902? That's fine. Send all the bad spirits yeah, my yeah, way. Yeah. It's fine. I can deal with it. Um, Sam, You've it, not got your camper van yet, then, then. <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. I'm not fighting with 25. Yeah, not fighting with 25 quid season. You need to worry about dancing around the stones. It's live streaming it because that was wasn't that the the uh, the dare or the the payoff if they got promoted, wasn't it? Did so. we say that? Yeah, yeah I think you're safe. I think I'll be all right. I think you'll be safe enough this season. Yeah. yeah. Funnily yeah. enough, I've not. I didn't know anything about any Stonehenge. Really, I didn't know much about the sort of spiritual element. And then we had that conversation, and then like two weeks later, I've been reading all about it and stuff. You're not telling me you've but got into not, it. Not as a result, but I was reading a book on somewhere else. It's actually by, uh, you know, the Forest Green Rovers oh, yeah. owner. Del Vince. Yeah, 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 Norfolk, yeah. Right. He's, he's a bit of a, you know, he's slightly alternative, should we say. And he's um, he's talking a lot about Stonehenge and how he used to love those sort of free festivals and stuff around there. And the Did he have to pay 25 quid? I don't know if he, I think he seems like the sort of type that would have found a way around from what he says in that book. But uh, yeah, he speaks quite a lot about the, the spiritual importance of Stonehenge. And I thought having never considered that, that was quite interesting. And uh, I thought about you and how disrespectful you've been. But yeah, sorry, you were going to ask me about... I was going to ask you, yeah, well, I was going to ask you about the, <laughs> the week ahead because it's, it's two really big games for Norwich City. Um, I guess the question, given the, the theme and the debate that we've had, is, is they need to win one? Are we are we saying that? Where 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 do we feel that Norwich City are at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean probably. If you look at the, they the do need to win that, one. Don't well, yeah, I mean otherwise it's one in nine, one win in nine. Um, but 
it's going to be really difficult. I think did Sun lose in the end today? Keep talking. Either way, that either way they definitely struggled. Uh, Middlesbrough are now climbing up the table after a pretty difficult start, and they're looking a bit closer to the side that you know came so close to almost promotion. Um, they did. They were beaten by Alex Neil. Well, there you go then. So. You know, Sunderland, I think, obviously struggled today, but generally have been very good again this season. Middlesbrough, and Leicester in midweek. The same. Well, there you go. So they might come. They might face Norwich with a little, a little bit. You know, struggling for confidence a little bit. But then again, you look. But at, then it'll be fine. Cause well, they're playing, no, I'm joking. Well, no, but it is true though that you look at Norwich's form at the moment. If you're a team that's got them, you know, coming to to your place, you're going to be pretty pleased with that. You're going to see it probably as an opportunity, and Sunderland will will see it as that, no doubt. Um, so it will be a, two very difficult fixtures for Norwich, especially throwing the the sort of elements of travel and the turnaround and, and things like that. And it will be difficult for them. So I can see them not getting a win. Absolutely. That, that's, for me, quite a realistic possibility. But, you know, as you outlined earlier, one win in nine is really trouble territory for David Wagner. And it gives probably people a decision to make. I can actually see it if they lose to Middlesbrough at Carrow Road on... Tuesday, I can see that turning slightly toxic, not Dean Smith levels, but definitely getting there. And then if they go away and, and lose to Sunderland, well, they'll probably be thanking their lucky stars that it's an away game. So I think things could get really difficult, um, not to just bring negativity. They could go on and, and win both. By no yeah, well, that, I was going to add, they could go on, win both, find themselves in the top six, and everything could be absolutely OK forever. Um, let's finish the pod. We, we always like to finish the pod with uh, a points tally. Oh points target because we're so good at these and, and, and that's what the people want uh, and, and last time we did it you called Swansea rubbish and then uh, <laughs> then they beat Norwich and, and they've won basically every rightly so rightly so by the way and ever since you said that they've won every game apart from today I think when they yeah. played Leicester so so well done for that so you, you Michael Duff can uh, can send you the check in the post so without any other words just the points tally out of six how many are Norwich going to get two Paddy Davitt one None. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, Adam shout from beyond. Free. Free. There we go. So what? Three, two, one. None. So uh, there we go. That, that maybe captures the mood perfectly. It's a, a, a good place to end the podcast. Thank you very much for watching slash listening this week. Pinkin.com, of course, the place to go. We'll be at Carrow Road. We'll be at the Stadium of Light to uh, bring you all the updates, analysis, reaction, etc., etc., etc. And then we will have another podcast to bring you next week. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, on a day where Daniel Farker put free past Norwich City, it wasn't a happy return.